0: Praise Jesus. We're going to continue our series in Philippians. And Lord, we come before you one more time and we ask that Lord, you would remove those things that would distract us from your word. I pray that we would put our thoughts on you where they should be and opening our ears and our minds and our eyes and our hearts. Lord, let us see you as glorious. You as as greater than anything and everything else and lord let us turn to you jesus christ lord of all so that we will learn to pray pray for ourselves and pray for those who are near us uh, to know you better and therefore love you and trust you more in jesus name amen learning to garden is a process When you first start to garden, you go to Home Depot or Lowe's and you buy a little plant and you stick it in the ground and you think, yay, I'm going to get some tomatoes. Then as you get a little bit better, you learn by trial and error and how much water to give, how much uh, fertilizer that it needs. And then as you're doing this, you start to ask for advice and you start to think about, well, what plants belong in the sun? What plants belong in the shade? Where should I I space these plants? Being the yellow-thumbed son of a solidly darkly green-thumbed father, I have realized that there's a lot I just don't know. Well, of course, there's lots of things that we don't know. It is still a mystery how life comes from a little dead seed PhDs are of every conceivable form are handed out for agriculture every year and scientists still when they get down to it we know how to steward life but we can't create it this is why seeds sprouting must in the end, always be a mystery because we don't know how to take inanimate objects and make them live. (coughs) The metamorphosis of a dead acorn, for example, into a living oak must be by the hand of the almighty life himself. And this personal creator God of the universe uses our little hands to shape as I said, to steward this life. Likewise, this same pattern is true in the life that comes after the second birth. As God the Father breathed life into dirt, becoming the first man, so he also breathes life into those whom he wishes to live. We are the dry bones that are clothed with flesh in the valley. And as with the command to come forth from the tomb, we, like Lazarus, must obey and walk forth into the light and to continue so walking until the giver of breath takes back his gift." This idea of life from a seed that must bring forth a harvest of righteousness is exactly the language that Paul employs in his passage tonight. In this prayer, we see that the seed is love. And we see that this love must grow into a harvest of righteousness that is proven through our days in this life on that great day when Jesus will show himself to be Lord of all. This prayer that we will look at tonight is an exhortation. It is an encouragement as we walk back this path, heading back to the garden. So how do we do it? How do we who are already walking this path gain strength so that we will be blessed and therefore a blessing? What means does God use to give us the kind of grace we need to thrive through the floods and the drought, through the fires and the frost that remain ahead of us? Prayer. God has ordained that some things will only be accomplished by diligent thought. Some things will only be accomplished by diligent work. And some things many things can only be accomplished through diligent prayer. So pray impossible prayers. Paul, in our passage, prays for the impossible. He prays that we, his readers, would reap a harvest of moral perfection on the day of Christ Jesus. Now, listen, that is so impossible as to be laughable. I mean, if you just pause for a second and think about your own heart, me, be morally perfect on any day, that's ridiculous. But that's exactly what Paul is praying for. Paul is praying impossible prayers, and he encourages us to do the same. So let's open to our passage this morning in Philippians chapter 1. We're doing 1, nine through 9-11 today. Paul says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Because... Paul was not physically with the Philippians, or for that matter, the Santa Marians. And because Paul loved us, he knew that what he needed most to do for us and the Philippians is to pray. Now you may understand how he felt. You have wayward children. You have stick-necked parents. The only thing that you can do is pray. Which, as it turns out, is a good thing. Because the only thing you need is God acting on your behalf through prayer. So we are going to pray impossible prayers. Let's start with verse 9. Paul says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Listen to the first point. Knowledge is essential to love. If you love someone or something, you are going to be a student of it. This is true in every single aspect of life. Do you love watercolor painting, for example? You will invest your time, your talent, and treasures in learning that art. Do you love a person? you will invest yourself into knowing him or her simply for the joy of knowing, but also because you want to be a blessing to this person. You, cannot, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And that takes knowledge. Christians likewise know and love and trust God. These three things are intimately related. God the Spirit uses experience in our life and experience in His Word to teach us this knowledge. This knowledge that is the only legitimate source of authority. God uses this knowledge which is the only real source of power in this life. Here it is. God uses our knowledge of Jesus. God uses our knowledge of the good news to cause life first to spring out in our own hearts and then to spread to those who are near us. And this life that is in our hearts and spreading to those who are near us is most recognizable as love. The better you know God, the more you will see Him as beautiful. You will love Him more. And the better you know God, the more you will see Him as faithful. You will trust Him more. And the garden that is your heart will develop, will spring forth life in earnest as you know Him better. And therefore, love Him and trust Him more. As you know Him better, as you spread this love and knowledge and and trust in Him to those around us. But this is all great and wonderful, and you know that I'm kind of philosophically oriented. But why am I spending so much time on this knowledge and love thing? Is it just because I'm weird like that? Well, it's because having an understanding about this relationship on how knowing God better makes it possible for us to love Him and trust Him more is absolutely essential. We need this to fight at least two very common problems in the church today. And that is sentimentality and pluralism. Now, Sentimentality is in general a fault of those of us who call ourselves conservative Christians. Sentimentality is this idea where we allow our emotions to be controlled is perhaps a strong word, but um, controlled by thoughts we had especially a long time ago. And especially when we base these emotions on the past, not really discerning whether those emotions are right or not. Now, not to pick on anybody, but the whole issue of music comes to the fore on this. You might be on the younger side and you think, well, we can't sing those old stodgy hymns, they don't make sense to us anymore. And you're just stuck on your experience here. Or you can't be the opposite and think, oh, we can't sing any new hymns because only the classic stuff is what is really good. This is an example of what I mean by this sentimentality. And I am so grateful for grace because we do both. And it's such a blessing to have the best of the old and the best of the new. But this happens in many areas of our life. And one of the things that we as believers must do is to continue to go and till the soil. Not to allow our emotions to have this knee-jerk reaction. But to go find out what is good in the old and what is good in the new. Sometimes we allow ourselves to live off low-hanging fruit rather than deepening our knowledge and love as we repeat phrases and thoughts that have not really given birth to new fruit in a long, long time. Pray for God to give a fresh experience of His Spirit to work in us as you go to His Word and as you go to those who love His Word. Sentimentality can be a problem that is fought by knowledge and love. Pluralism is the opposite of that. Pluralism is generally the tendency of the more progressive crowd. And this, the the first one, sentimentality emphasizes knowledge without love, and pluralism emphasizes love without knowledge. Rather than seeing God as one of justice and holiness, this crowd sets up their feelings about love as ultimate and loses the essential distinctions that the Bible teaches and that are necessary for life. Now, we all have our flavor of sin. It doesn't matter what decade you were born in. And so we must all exercise growth in knowledge and depth of love so that we with compassion can come together and love each other and help each other to know God better and therefore love Him and trust Him more. So, pray for impossible. Pray impossible prayers. Pray that your heart would be changed as God would have it. And pray that the hearts of those who are near you would be changed as well. Pray impossible prayers. And Paul continues, he prays that their love may abound more and more so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless. What's going on here is Paul is praying, may your love grow in the soil of your heart. May love grow, develop in your heart. Now, I want to point out something that's going on in this verse here that we normally don't think of. Love as we talk about it in the New Testament, is normally an end. We need to to become more loving. We read 1 Corinthians 13 and we talked about how when we are patient with somebody, we are demonstrating love to them. But what I want to show here is Paul is using love as a means to an end. Hang with me here. The purpose of love in verse 9 is that we will discern or approve what is excellent. And this purpose of discerning or approving what is excellent is so that you will then be pure and blameless. The point of our loving in this case is to aim at the end of an impossible harvest. I mean, let's just be honest with each other just for a second. How many of you consider yourself pure and blameless right now? Mm, me neither but as this love is growing more and more what Paul is saying here is this impossible event on that day we will by the grace of God be pure and blameless the point of our loving us now is that God will be at work in us and that what is impossible now will be ours on the day of Christ So here we see that Paul gives us a clear road map. One that begins with love and ends in living a life that is pleasing to God. That this causes our hearts to rejoice. It brings eternal happiness to our near ones and brings glory to God. Not a bad harvest, is it? I want to point out something else. And that is that the approve here in verse 10 doesn't mean that you get to have a choice. Hmm, Let's see, I'll have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. What is going on here? Approve is this moral aspect of knowledge. You will go through the Bible and you will look at all the passages on knowledge and what you will find is that it's almost unheard of that when the bible speaks about knowledge is just talking about knowledge for knowledge's sake the bible doesn't use knowledge like that knowledge is always a moral category you're always to do something with this knowledge it's always meant to change you to become more like Jesus just as an evidence of that How many passages could you think of that you wish there was just one extra verse that would explain something to you, right? Don't you just wish there was... God, couldn't you just explain a few of these mysteries? God doesn't write the Bible so that we'd have all of our questions answered. He writes the Bible so that our hearts would change, so that we would become more like Him. To know something in Scripture then is to approve it, to acknowledge the wisdom of it in your life. And then the next step is to walk in it. To know something is then to live like it is true. Living perfectly like the good news is true is to be pure and blameless, which again we are not. Bunyan pictured this concept as a Christian who was walking straight down the path and ahead of him were two lions who were chained on either side of the path. And so long as you walk straight, and confidently the lions couldn't get you, but straight to one side or the other and you're human confetti. So, with Scripture, what we find is that there is this line And Paul uses the idea of excellence. Now, here, when he gives this idea of excellence, he's talking about those areas of your life where Scripture doesn't give you exact commands. If we are going and we are developing and making a harvest of love, we will find that we understand what God is doing, and we will be able to do what is excellent in various areas of our life. We will be able to make good, godly decisions. Not because everything is spelled out for us in the Bible. God doesn't work that way. Instead, He gives us His Word, He gives us His Spirit, and He gives us people who can walk alongside of us helping us understand how to pull out the weeds in our garden and see the path that he has for us to walk. When Paul talks about this idea of excellence, he wants us again to avoid either one of two opposite errors. Entrenched mediocrity and perfectionism. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength, and therefore your near ones as yourself, you will find that this current culture of entrenched mediocrity is unacceptable. Mediocrity is the sin of those of us who would just float through this Christian life. Those of us who, as I said before, live off the low-hanging fruit and imagine that our devotional life in the morning gets us through the day and everything is hunky-dory. D.A. Carson uses this phrase when he says, Paul's prayer spells the death of entrenched mediocrity, of smug self-satisfaction, of contentment with our own excuses. Christ is the answer. Christ is the answer. Know Him better. Because He is infinitely worthy of all your best efforts. Know Christ better through His Word, through your brothers and sisters. Know Him better. Press on. Move forward. Dig deep into these truths that you know are there. But you need a firmer grasp on them. Grasp more tightly as you find other passages that give a slightly different view of these glorious truths and you will know Him better and therefore love Him and trust Him more. Now, the opposite of entrenched mediocrity is perfectionism. But perfectionism always fails. Why? When you find a perfectionist, what you will find is someone who has so narrowed down what they're thinking about that they have excluded many things that are essential. Perfectionists make ultimate one area of life usually that they're good at and they ignore their elephant in the room which is normally their lack of love for those who are not perfect. But my friends, this is exactly what Jesus was accusing the Pharisees of doing. I have this and I am good at this and you all need to follow after me. But that is Also wrong because perfectionism fails because we fail to realize the motive of our efforts is never law. It's never getting people to think well of you. The motive of our best efforts is never to impress people with our spirituality. The right motive for our best efforts is a person our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ is the answer. Grace. God's power to accomplish kingdom purposes in your life is the answer. Jesus, not any system or any idea of perfection that you might have. Jesus is good and true and beautiful because He is the one who loves you and empowers you to love others. He is the One who enables you to walk that path. And when you stumble, He is the One who picks you up. So pursue. Pursue excellence based on knowledge of God and His Word. And you pursue this knowledge By loving those who are near you. By loving God and His Word. And this excellence, not perfection, and definitely not mediocrity, will be the ripening of love in your heart that will enable you then to pray impossible prayers. And this excellence itself will be a fruit, will bear fruit in a life of righteousness. This is what we find in verse 11. Paul says, we praise that our love may abound more and more so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Listen, love must, by necessity, not because he's commanding us, but love must produce a harvest. The whole point of Paul's prayer and this seed of love in verse 9 is that God will harvest souls that are pure and blameless. Now, Paul doesn't get into the mechanics of all that. We know from our study in Romans last year that what is happening is he is fully sanctifying us. He is making us like him because we are in Christ. He's not talking about that in this passage. Instead, what we find is that we are awaiting the harvest that is to come. And while we are waiting, we are not idle. We are not sitting back, twiddling our thumbs. Instead, we experience God the Spirit working in us, grace working in us. Grace works in us by empowering the love in our hearts to grow more and more, loving the neighbor who desperately needs Jesus. Loving our friend that we're tempted to ignore because we're wanting to watch football. Grace works in us by empowering love. Then grace works through us by equipping us to approve or to recognize what is excellent so that we may do it. Have you ever thought that one of the reasons you might struggle with certain doctrines in Scripture is because you are being disobedient in an area that God wants you to be obedient in? That He's been talking to you about? But I don't, I don't want to deal with that right now, God. I want to deal with this deep theological question. Well, maybe you're not getting this deep theological question because you've got this secret sin stashed in your closet. So grace works through us to equip us to approve and recognize what is excellent and put that which isn't away. Then grace also works for us. Grace works in us. Grace works through us. And grace works for us by filling us with the fruit of righteousness as we trust Jesus. You know, it's a funny truth of life. You ever go through life and something happens and you accidentally did the right thing? Has that ever, ever happened to anybody? It's like, Man, if I had been working in the flesh right now, right at that moment, I would have said something really stupid. Am I the only one who's ever done that? And you're like, Oh, that, that came out well. Yeah. Let me break my arm patting my back. Praise Jesus when that happens. Seriously. Stop. Praise Jesus. Thank you that I did not get a foot-shaped mouth just right then, Jesus. Jesus. God works for us by filling us with the fruit of righteousness. I want to re-emphasize, God gives the growth. God causes the seed to sprout. God is the one who makes this garden a lush, wonderful place. God's power to accomplish kingdom purposes. Grace is what is responsible. And so therefore, God is the one who gets the glory. And it is God's grace, God's power to accomplish kingdom purposes in us and through us and for us that makes us the responsible gardeners of the seed that God the Spirit gave. And being these gardeners will require labor. And it will require laboring in prayer. So pray impossible prayers. Pray for God to save the souls around you. How many of you have ever thought, Oh, that person's never going to come to Christ. Mm-hmm. Pray that your love may abound and that God will use this love and wisdom and righteousness to awaken a thirst in the hearts of those who are near you. Don't give up. Don't give up. As long as there is a heartbeat, there is hope. Pray impossible prayers. And while you're at it, pray for Bob Burtnett, my dad. But I skipped something. Some of you may have noticed. I skipped a phrase in this prayer. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Listen. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus christ is lord through the whole 14 weeks of philippians i am not going to let you forget because paul doesn't let us forget jesus christ is lord thank you i knew it was coming i was waiting for it only the personal creator king and judge of the universe gets to have such a day as the day of the lord a day of christ only the great king gets to judge the universe and everyone in it. Jesus Christ is Lord. And we see here that Paul reminds us about this great day to exhort us to perseverance. Keep moving forward because the end is coming. Keep moving forward because we will soon finish this journey. Keep moving forward because we will be to the glory and praise of God. Keep moving forward. Furthermore, Paul bringing the day of the Lord into this discussion is not a threat. It is a promise. For those of us who are Bible-believing, Christ-honoring Christians, the day of the Lord is a great day. Amen. And we get back to another one of the paradoxes, one of the paradoxes of the Christian life. We are commanded to pursue moral perfection. We are People pray for us and we pray for others that we would have this moral perfection. We are in fact expected in many passages to be morally perfect. And we know that we are not. And so we struggle with this tension. But we see enormous hope right here. We see enormous hope because we see, in spite of me, God is still for me. And therefore, we can press on in the hope that He will make this promise good. And because we know that we know that God will make this promise good, we can take chances, we can make mistakes, we can get messy in the name of the Lord. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 130, verse 4. With you there is forgiveness, that your name may be feared. Because God offers us forgiveness, we can therefore take chances, make mistakes, and get messy in the name of love. We can go out there and make a fool of ourselves telling people about the love of Jesus. And when we make mistakes, God's got that covered too. And we will, by His grace, certainly not by anything we have done, on that day be pure and blameless. So take chances. Make mistakes. And get messy. Get arrested at Planned Parenthood places a hundred (laughs) times. I don't know how many times you got arrested. Boy, talk about getting messy. I can't wait to see the line of people who are going to line up around Chet June the 3rd and saying, "Hey, I'm here because you were there." Thanks for that image this morning, brother. You can't fail. When you are pursuing love, you can't fail. When you're trying to memorize Scripture, you can't fail. Why? Because any amount of time you spent reading that Scripture is time spent getting to know God better. What if, what if I don't have it word perfect by a Wanna Wednesday? It's okay. You spend time doing it. What if, what, if, what, if, what if I make a mistake when I'm telling someone about Jesus? What if I make a mistake? You can't fail in telling people about the love of Jesus. Keep moving forward. This prayer is an encouragement. This prayer is not a threat. You don't have to be afraid. Completely on the contrary, you know that because Jesus Christ is Lord, He will bring to completion on that day all the good works that you started and for any number of reasons couldn't finish. You are safe, and you are loved. That is why, to change an old phrase, we must be heavenly-minded so we can be of earthly good. In fact, one of Jesus' best friends put it this way. He said, the end of all things is near. The day of the Lord is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Because your dad, your children, your neighbors, your near ones, they are going to be saved, not because you're such a great person, but because of the power of God. So pray that power in. And of course, we can't forget the promise of the same passage that we did the first half of last week, where Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. Now we're going to be coming back to the day of Christ two more times as we go through Philippians, so stay tuned. Clearly, Paul has in mind that we must persevere individually. We must persevere in this knowledge and love. And as a unity as a group, a team, a family, as we seek to enable others here to know God better and therefore love Him and trust Him more. As to see Jesus Christ as not only the Lord of Lords, but as altogether beautiful and worthy of all our love and trust. Now from our perspective at the moment, we don't see this. From our earthly eyes right now, man, it's hard to get a hold of this. I know my sins. I know my weaknesses and faults that I keep running back to like a dog to its vomit. So this idea that I can be morally perfect, that's impossible. Yes, so pray impossible prayers. Go to Jesus and ask Him to do what He has promised to do. Now, I love gardening. I love walking out in the garden in the summertime and picking cherry tomatoes and eating them right there. I love my berries. I love going out and finding apples and just eating them off the tree. But I am impatient. And I want the apple tree to be bearing fruit all the time. I go out to my berries and I want to see raspberry stalks growing five feet high. I am impatient. I lay down in my bed and I'm impatient with me because I see that there is fruit growing, but it's not ripe enough fast enough. And as I remember that I want to see this fruit growing, it brings me back to Jesus. Lord, I pray that your love may abound more and more in my heart with knowledge and all discernment, so that I may be able to approve what is excellent. And because I am able to approve what is excellent, I will then be pure and blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because this is happening right now, as this fruit is developing, I will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And is not because I'm such a great guy, but it's all to the glory and praise of God. Take these three verses. Put your name in it. Put the name of your near one in it. And pray impossible prayers. Lord Jesus, we cannot do this of our own. Oh, far from it. We need grace. We need God's power to accomplish kingdom purposes in my heart in our hearts and the hearts of those that we love who are near us. God, I pray that You would give us to prayer so that we can see what only You can do in us and through us and for us but for your glory and the growth of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.